A Slice of the Community is made possible by the support of the First Horizon Foundation. Hello and welcome to another episode of Slice of the Community. I'm Jerome Moore and today we're joined by Metro National School Board member Christian Bugs and the Executive Officer for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion for Metro National Public Schools, Ashley Hughes Sr. How y'all doing? Doing all right. Hey, great. Thanks for having us. Man, nah, we're we going to get straight into it. Right, we're going to get straight into the state of education uh, for black students in Nashville. And we're talking about pre-K through 12th mm -hmm. grade public schools here. Now, uh, this is a question for both of you all. What would you describe the current state of black students in our educational system right now, public education here in Nashville? I'll start with you, Christian. Sure, so I'll go from a data standpoint. We are lifting as we climb. Uh, all students are doing better slowly but surely, which means that all black students are doing at least better. What we don't talk about in the community enough is that children actually come to school behind mm. in our most under-resourced, most disenfranchised community. I love to throw out this statistic. 65% of black, brown, differently abled, and low SES students come into kindergarten and first grade, a full grade level behind, right? Yeah. So when we talk about the state of public education, we have to talk about the state of the community right. because schools are only where community issues bubble up. It's not that we work in a silo, but you have to make sure the children are fed, that they feel confident, that they are loved on, that their families feel supported. And so I would say that we, can't, we have to have the nuanced conversation when we talk about black education because, again, we don't operate in a silo. Right. I could talk forever, but I'll stop there. <laughs> well, I'm going to echo everything uh, board member Bugs just said, but also just start out with uh, young people are excellent. We value them. They're at a place where they're really seeking out to be the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. So right now we're in a place with black education where we're starting where we are, but we're not staying there. We know that we have progress to make, uh, but the school district has been laser focused on how do we cope cultivate relationships with our kids, how do we cultivate relationships with our families, mm -hmm. and we know that if we can be laser focused on that, we'll see marginal success, right. as, as we've seen right now, as we are the second year in a row, level five schools uh, within the state, so we are showing progress particularly for black and brown boys and girls, as literacy is vitally important, we are seeing growth. As math is also vitally important, we are seeing growth in key areas to support our young people. Now is where our community must come in to say, how do we work together to partner more with the school district so we can continue to increase the gains that we're seeing now? Now let's go to that community piece, right? Um, this is something I hear echoed a lot here in Nashville, um, primarily to around black parents. Um, what would you say to parents that may be skeptical of sending their black child, boy or girl, to a national public school? Um, just because of, you see the, the literacy rates, you see the disciplinary discrepancies, uh, and just the overall environment, say, hmm, I don't know if I want to send my black boy or girl to national public schools because of all of these things. And I'll start with you, Christian, because I know you <laughs> amped about this. And we can unpack this. We got time, so we can unpack this. Sure. So I'll start with this. I say all the time that I, did, I don't have a physics degree, and I didn't work for NASA because mm -hmm. uh, of Tennessee State's physics program. I have a, a physics degree because TSU had an engineering program that I started going to when I was three, uh, in the third grade. Mm -hmm. From third grade to about 11th grade, I went every summer and each weekend. And that, those kind of programs were prominent. They were yeah. happening everywhere. If your child wanted to be in athletics, they had NYSP. If your child wanted to, to learn about any spe specific craft, skill, content, there was something in the community. There was a church somewhere, right? right. And so what we've done as black Nashvillians is we've stepped away from our ancestral roots and we're not as communal as we used to be. 
Mm -hmm. It used to be that your child, his children, and my child are all mine to help support. And so I would first say to a, a parent, a black parent, that I validate your feelings because you're looking at your child as another cog in the wheel. You see the systems that, they, that, that we all operate in and you want to opt out. But I also want to add this layer of context that suggests that that's a very privileged way of thinking, mm -hmm. that I have privilege in that I know that there are other options. Right. I might be able to homeschool or even private school or send my child to an optional school. But when we, when we talk about opting out, we forget that we are leaving behind children and families who are our neighbors, yeah. who are our cousins, our friends, our family, people who look like us, who just don't have that same privilege. Right. So it's not that I want to ignore the feelings of black Nashvilleans that say, hey, this school system didn't do right by me or another system in Nashville didn't do right by me. Why would I suggest my, subject my child to that? I would instead say, view it through the lens that you're trying to make it better, right. that it is your goal when you send your child into that school system to be an advocate, to be thoughtful, to make sure that everybody in your child's classroom has better because you know better and you are more right. well-connected and thoughtful. It was, this is why we have to keep <laughs> our board member engaged and on our board for yeah. years to come. But I will first validate parents' feelings. I hear you. I recognize and understand where you're coming from. Like, mm -hmm. we all can see the historic patterns and trends that have led to the educational inequities within our school district. But I will also say, now we have strong leadership. We mm -hmm. have Dr. Battle, who has been driven by her mantra of every student known, driven by what are we doing to create equitable spaces, right. not just in our classrooms, but in our entire district-wide space, right? We right. have leaders like Christian Bugs. We have other board members that are laser-focused on what are we doing to equitize our school district, right? So I would tell parents, let's continue to work together. I'm a parent of two kids that are in Metro Public Schools, right? So I had to go through the process of understanding what does this mean for my two black boys going right. to Metro Public Schools? Right. So when I was working with how do we equitize our district, I wanted to make certain that I was thinking first and foremost, the non-negotiables that I have for my children, I want to make certain that every child has those, particularly since I mentor and process through with black boys outside of the school uh, district as well. Right. So I think parents really give us a try, like hone in and understand and tell us who are your children? What do they need? And I right. guarantee you, we have systems that we're creating in support. We have strong leadership that is laser focused on being community centered and student driven right. in order to continue to increase what we're seeing for black children. Can I also yeah, add, offer a kind of a, um, a selfish thought okay. that I would want black parents to consider? That for the first time in a long time, or maybe the first time ever, you have leaders that look like you right. who are in these spaces. We've inserted ourselves in the system, not because we think the system is perfect. Right. but because we see the inequities and we see where we're trying to fix and solve things. What I, what I struggle to do as a board member and why this is my last year on the board is I can't fight white supremacy all day yeah. through policy and negotiating with colleagues across uh, different, different boards and different systems, but then come home to my black community and they think that I should have done more. Yeah. I should have sacrificed myself more. And so yeah. I would say again, yes, walk alongside us. We're not saying that it's perfect, right. but we've seen the gains. We've seen the potential. Right. We're excited about this. I mean, I was a teacher and yes, I have my own son right. who's in, 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 in MNPS also. Mm -hmm. So we're going to fight for the inequities, but when we're looking across 80,000 students, please give us grace, just yeah. like we want to extend grace to your children. Right. So let, let, let me quickly, she said something that was vitally important. As we talk about, and I think the state of black education as we're sitting here today, we have to transition, I believe, from fighting against mm. white oppression. We have to transition against fighting against something, but what are we trying to build and create in lieu of the mm. excellence for our children? So from my lens, from my vantage point in the school district, yes, I understand that an anti-racist stance means that we don't cater to this type of uh, ideology, but 
what are we trying to do to build mechanisms where black boys are valued and they see themselves in the stories right. in ELA class? What are we doing so that young black girls have someone to look up to and see the excellence in themselves in yeah. arts and literature? So yeah. while we also understand uh, that oppression lives, I'm also, and the district is also looking towards what type of things can we build in support of black children to get the best out of them. Let's talk about this building, right? Especially systemically. Is, can there be an and both, right? Can I send my black son to a private school but also support Metro Public Schools? Is that, does that work? Can, can I still pour money into both of them? Or is that like kind of playing events and is it more beneficial if I just commit to all the way in to public schools? We would never tell a parent not to help a public school and not right. to donate their time, their talent, or their treasure. Uh, I just, I think as, as a parent, yeah. it is so, I, I see the inequities and the issues every day that I drop my son off. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I say this all the time, you know, my son's school had to cancel a field trip because we couldn't get the $500 in time mm -hmm. because so many parents just didn't have the money yeah. and they were, they were ashamed. They didn't want to ask yeah. for, they didn't want to say, and so, and, it, until it was too late, we didn't know, right? right? And so, but me being there, me experiencing that made me realize how, uh, th there's so many other ways that I can insert myself both as a board member and as a parent, right? right? At the same time though, I don't want to make black parents feel bad for doing what they think is right for their child. Right. Mm -hmm. I would just ask you to consider that, yes, you are then part of the system, whether you want it to be or not. Right. And if you have the time to become a lunch buddy and eat lunch with the baby, or right. to be a mentor to a child, or even, yes, we will always take donations of, of of any kind, of money, of clothing, of books, of, uh, I, I, there was a friend of mine who was a financial literacy expert and he would come in and teach students free of charge. All of those things help. So yeah. there, is no, there is no turning away of people who want to support our students in any way. But if I had it my way, if I could paint with the magic wand, yes, I would love to have everybody's children in MNPS mm -hmm. because I know how we can work together to better the system. Ashford, I want to go to you about this equity roadmap that MNPS has, right? Because we're talking about equity, talking mm -hmm. about dismantling some of these systemic barriers. From a systemic standpoint, what is MNPS doing with this equity roadmap to, to address these head on? And, and how can parents find this, this equity roadmap? And what stage are we in right now in implementing some of the things that's in the equity roadmap? So first of all, it starts with Dr. Battle saying, this is who we are as a district. We are going to find ways to make certain that our educators understand that equity is who we are. It's not just an end goal, but it's the processes, it's the procedures, it's the mental models that we keep to ensure that our systems equitize and are valuing our most marginalized community members, which for history have been black boys and girls within school uh, districts. So what we have been doing is working on a lot of continuous training for our educators in partnership with them around culturally relevant pedagogy, making certain that they understand the critical consciousness, cultural mm -hmm. awareness of our students. Right. Our students are 70% black or brown. 40% uh, right. of our students are African American. 68, almost 70% of our teachers are white. Right. So what that comes learning about understanding who the community is, what are some of the touch points that uh, bring out the joy in education for our young black boys and brown girls. Uh, so we have been drilling on that training. We've also been drilling on things around social emotional learning, making certain that we have a navigators program that is checking in on students and families, particularly right. our black boys and girls. Right. Uh, we instituted and adopted an equity matrix looking at mm -hmm. 
when we first were coming back from COVID and we were right. distributing laptops, how do we make certain that we had an equitized process to get the students that had the most need right now computers? We looked at economically disadvantaged students that were going to schools of innovation. So we made certain to get those out first. Right. Those went to first majority African-American students, Latinx right. students. Uh, we've also been looking at how do we continuously monitor progress, yeah. right? We can look at all the great things that we're doing from a theoretical standpoint, but when it comes down to the brass tacks, when we're looking at literacy, when we're looking at numeracy, how are we measuring success? Right. And because we have a literacy reimagined program that has totally shifted the way that we teach reading, shifted the way that we have the content that is inclusive of black faces, brown right. stories, that is like vital equity work that we're doing within our district right now. And right. All because Dr. Battle, our leader, has said this is where we're going to go in support with our board right. to say we wouldn't take nothing less than have a system <laughs> that values black and brown boys and their families. I think right. it's in important that we always talk about students in conjunction with their families because you cannot separate the two. Okay, so you threw out some stats <laughs> of, around the, um, that's all right, you threw out some stats around the population demographic in our public schools right now that doesn't represent what Nashville as a city looks like demographically, right? So what is a socioeconomic standpoint and how that intersects with race and funding play a part into that quality of education that <coughs> black and brown students either get or don't get uh, based on where they're zoned? And I'll start with you, Christy. There's so much to unpack there. Uh, so yeah. first I'll say I, have, I had a colleague who used to jokingly say that 440 owed his house generational wealth. They mm -hmm. owed his family generational wealth and a house. Right. Uh, he lived off of Charlotte. Uh, eminent domain was instituted, so they, you know, his home was taken. They were not even put in another home. They were put in housing projects. That was three generations of his family. Mm. If you think about going up the Charlotte corridor, all the different private schools that are close by, the further you get down, um, all the different traditionally zoned schools that act as private schools because they're able to raise in PTO dollars $100,000 or more, that is that adds to the inequity. It's hard to talk about any one or two systems and the way that they intertwine yeah. because all of them intertwine in some way. Right. Um, there, there, I wish I just had more time. So I'll say this: <laughs> uh, going back to you the Procon cluster right. and, and, and North Nashville, there's not a single zone school that has a PTO, mm. not a single one. So when it comes time for you wanting to donate maybe five thousand dollars to right. a school, it first has to go through MNPS, then it has to go through a, a process to be sure that uh, we've been appropriate in the, the auditing process. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of just that goes into it. But if we have a PTO mechanism that that field trip that would have been canceled could have yeah. been donated to immediately and those children could have gotten on that bus that day mm. right that's a, a crude example but right. that speaks to the lack of because when we talk about lack of, of funding lack of um, economic um, investment in your own home or in your own community right. that also talks to you know to or speaks to the lack of connectivity to resources right. to understanding and so um, I'll let you go, Asher, because yeah. I'm still wrapping my no, mind around all the things I want to say. Unpacking that. So, you know, just as throughout history, people racialized as black, right? right? The socioeconomic, the socio-political context has always led to massive inequities. So we right. see right now in our city, gentrification has been going on for decades, right? Yeah. When we have gentrification in our city, when we have black families that are moving out of their indigenous areas to other areas of the city, it messes up the support system. Yeah. It messes up the continuity of education within those family structures. So instead of going, all families going through the Paracone cluster, now you have families 
families that started a Paracone cluster. Right. Now they've been pushed out to Antioch and going to a different cluster. Right. But their support system may still be in North Nashville. Right. So it's hard to say that the growing demographics, the growing trends within our city isn't having a negative effect often on our black families. Right. Now, this is where, again, we go back to community. We go back to leaders in the mayor's office, leaders at the state government coming in and saying, how do we fix the housing trends within our community? Right. How do we ensure that we do have funding for our uh, schools of innovation, for schools in particularly economic areas uh, that have been massively underfunded in the right. community? that right. has been underfunded. We just think about North Nashville because traditionally that has been our African-American community. Think about the interstate that was put through there. Yep, 440, yep. Think about what that meant for long-term growth and development for black right. people in that community. Think about now you still have a lot of gentrification in areas. I live in Donaldson. There's a lot of uh, African-Americans moving out there, yeah. right? And what does that mean for the school district, for the system? How do we have communities of support? Right. So the economics has always been a driving factor, but the thing that they also was a driving factor is the resilience of the black family. Mm. The black family has always been resilient. Right. The black family has always put education as a high barrier right. to where we need to go as a community. Right. I think it's still there, but I think we continue to need to pour and to have conversations like this. Yeah. We need to make certain that we empower parents to empower partnership with the school district so that we can create new family areas of support for our students moving forward. Because I think it's also interesting, the more I think about it, again, I grew up in North Nashville. I think, what, five generations of my family has grown up in North Nashville. I didn't know about us having the highest incarceration rate in America. That yeah. wasn't a thing. Right. Because it did not matter the socioeconomic status of anyone in that community. We were all family. We were right. all community. I knew people down every single street. People on every single street had babysat me at yeah. some point, had worked with my parents or grandparents at some yeah. point. But... I, I, I wrap us around to this anti-blackness mentality that so many of us have, black, right. brown, white, anyone right. in between, because you have MLK and Hume Fogg, two very high-performing magnet schools. When right. I first got on the board, I started hearing a lot of, of negative talk about MLK, and I just couldn't understand it. Yeah. Well, that's not a great magnet school. You should really try to get your kid into Hume Fogg. I, I joke you not. I go into MLK that next day um, to see my little brother who was there, and I see a group of black boys there in Pearl Cone, uh, football jerseys yeah. because MLK doesn't have a, a football, football team. team. They right. have to play with Pearl Cone. And I automatically got it. I said, okay, so this is a school where the average ACT score is what? Like a 26 or 27. Mm -hmm. uh, a, gra a college graduation rate yeah. of something like 85%. Right. And you have the nerve to say that this isn't a high-performing school. But, oh, I see all these black students. Aha. Yeah. Uh -huh. And mm. so when we talk about systems, when we talk about yeah. even socioeconomic status, I would venture to say that anti-blackness has played a much bigger role in all of that right. and setting the stage for all of that to even be possible because it was nothing for me to have neighbors right. who made a third of what my parents made, right. but we all went to school together and we all worked together. Around this anti-blackness, let's, let's, let's look to our allies, people sure. that are not of color. What can they do to be a part of combating and dismantling this system of anti-blackness that intersects inside our educational system? I'm but, trying to decide how controversial I want to be. You go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Be as controversial as <laughs> you need to be. But I think they need to intersect and 
utilize their advantage, privilege, whatever yeah. may have you, to speak up on behalf of the value and the expertise of black educators, mm -hmm. the value, the love and support we need to give to black children as well, right? Yeah. Um, I co-chair our My Brother's Keeper Alliance with Lionel Matthews, and one of the things we were trying to allude to when we worked in the mayor's office was there needed to be a press conference, a rally with uh, mayor's office and leaders to come out and specifically say, in light of all the uh, shooting deaths that we see oftentimes with young black boys, mm -hmm. young black boys, young black girls, we value you. Mm -hmm. We love you. We want you to have and experience spaces of joy, of yeah. peace, of comfort. Because that's what yeah. every family wants for their ch uh, child right. when they send them to school. Right. Joy. They want them to feel safe. They right. want them to be a place where their identity is valued. That's what we are trying to work towards now within the school district and the allies that we have right now, we have some that are doing well, but we need more. Yeah. And we need them to come together in all of our schools to help support and, hey, help us identify how we can help you start a PTO at this school. Right. How we can give that longevity over time, right? right? So we need allies, and honestly, we need allies to turn into comrades mm. that are gonna go to war with us as we're fighting right. against the state, as you see things that are taking place nationally. Right. How do you show up and use your voice when we talk about culturally relevant pedagogy. How right. do you come up and use your voice when we say we're going to have a targeted reading program to right. ensure that black boys in K through 3 right. are able to read at grade level by the time they get to middle school. Right. So we have to have them utilize their voices right. more so than just what, what they're doing now. But it's Sacrifice up to leaders like Sacrifice myself. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. We got to help show them the blueprint of what that right. looks like. Come on. I'm gonna be middle of the road controversial. Nah, go I, all the way. Go all I the way need, down the road. I think I've said this to you before. I need allies. If they're gonna be a self-proclaimed ally, mm -hmm. I need you to be just as uncomfortable yeah. as we have been and as we are every single day. Right. You can't call yourself an ally because you, you know, you rallied with us right. or you walked in the parade with us right. or you walked to the Capitol with us. No, 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 no. I need you to I need to see you sacrifice yourself in some way. Yeah. Because you see us sacrificing ourselves. Use your privilege to right. benefit us. I remember <clears throat> asking a council member to send his child to his his own school mm -hmm. because he lived in a gentrified area that was predominantly that was once predominantly black and no longer is and he said well you know I'm an ally but we just really don't want my white daughter to be the only white kid in class mm. and that stung because again this is someone who is seen as progressive yeah. and as thoughtful and as an ally but if you're not even willing in the home in the neighborhood that you bought a home in right. if you're not willing to fully invest in your community I can't consider you an ally mm. I'll stop there because I Nah, keep going. Mm -hmm. You're on the road. Mm -hmm. No, I'm you're good. On, you're on the road. <laughs> I also still live in, in America and in a state and in a city right. that is not ready for all of this anti-racist, anti-blackness talk. And so yeah. as much as I, I, I said before, I'm, I've, I've gotten worn down yeah. as a public leader. I've gotten worn down fighting these supremacist right. thoughts and uh, fighting for the, the, the black children right. and then being harmed professionally because of it. So I'm, I'm good. I'll stop there. So let me... So, so I think this is an opportunity when we talk about the state of black education for ourselves to take a look at history, right? right. We're in a city where John Lewis and Marion Berry and others spawned, right. right? Civil rights organization and movement. I think we need to look to history to see how do we 
work with our allies? How do we as a black community take right. the history and move forward with more progressive ideas to really champion what we want? We have right. to come together and say, these are our non-negotiables as a black community for our education. Right. How do we now partner with our board, with our school district to mm -hmm. make certain those things come to fruition? Right. It's not gonna come to by happenstance, right. but we have to first understand where we have been, right. where we are, mm -hmm. and then where we aim to be in the future. What, you, what you're talking about is organizing, right? Sure. We gotta get organized. We gotta have these conversations that we have now, put our collective minds together, come up with some type of blueprint with our ask, right? And that starts, we have a new mayor coming in soon in September, whoever mm -hmm. she or he may be. It starts there, it then trickles down to the budget, Dr. Battle, yourselves, the school board, and say, hey, this is what we're holding y'all responsible for, and this is what we want, and don't budge on that. But I feel like I don't know if we do, I don't know if that is represented at this particular moment of not budging or just saying, hey, you know, public schools are convenient, you know, and I'm just letting the school do all the work, and me as a parent or a guardian, mm -hmm. hey, like, I, I'm, I'm doing my part. Let me, I'm sorry, no, I want to give just two thoughts. The first, if you all remember Dr. Sean Joseph, who was Dr. Battle's predecessor, right. I will go to my grave understanding that he is no longer a superintendent. Dr. Battle is amazing. Mm -hmm. But Dr. Joseph is no longer a superintendent because he decided that he was going to shift Title I dollars from all schools to our neediest, blackest schools. Right. And all of a sudden, that conversation became that he was mismanaging dollars. The conversation mm. became that he was uh, inappropriate in how he elevated black leadership. Right. And so you had a black leader who right. was looking to make the, ra the truly radical move and push dollars to where they were needed. Right. And instead of black Nashville, or Nashville as a whole, if we're being honest, instead of Nashville wrapping their arms around that and saying, you know what, that's a step toward equity. That's, a, that's what yeah. we've asked for. He was pushed out. Mm. And so we've got to be thoughtful that when you, if we're going to make these kind of uh, stakes in the stand and say this is right. where we stand as a community, we have to be ready to support anyone, black, white, or otherwise, who looks to support that. Right. We've got to, to support them and, and wrap our arms around them. So as a black father, one of the first things that me and my wife uh, ensure is that education first starts at the home, Yeah. right? Again, we have non-negotiables for our boys. We yeah. have over 500 books in our home and we made it clear early on, yeah. you gonna read. Yeah. And we gonna, gonna read together. Yeah. And I model reading for my son as well. Mm -hmm. This is where, right, I may speak from a place of privilege that I have books and I right. read and I am college educated. But still, education starts in the family. Right. But it also starts from a communal perspective. We talked about ancestral, communal perspective. When right. I was growing up in Knoxville, we had reading programs at churches. We had reading programs with black achievers. Mm -hmm. We have to get back into our opening our church doors yep. up more than just on Sundays right. to incorporate community, to have yeah. these conversations about education. We need the elders to take a step forward again mm -hmm. and be that place of hope and support for education within our community. We've kind of gotten away from that, right? So we right. have to look at what can we do to be inclusive of our own organizations, right. black-led organizations and institutions right. taking a forward stance on saying, we are here to also not just have the step show, right. the fish fry and the party, we're gonna be active and engaged in our schools to support black and brown boys so they can be the next lawyers, they right. can be the next Supreme Court justices. Right. And I, I will say this last thing, okay, go ahead. black people are not a monolith. That right. was the other yep. thing, that right. when we come together to put, a, put together a black agenda, we have to be ready to offer right. some concessions to each other. Give you five seconds. Why is it important to continue talking about the state of black education in Nashville? Five seconds. Because education is the game changer for every child, especially those who are disenfranchised. Nashville. Because our children are worthy of love and of being valued.
Well, I want to thank both of y'all for being here. It was amazing. It was it was powerful. And we, we still didn't get to unpack everything, sure. but we're going to. All right, so I appreciate y'all. And I want to thank all the viewers at home for watching um, and tune in to us next time. All right, thank you. A slice of the community is made possible by the support of the First Horizon Foundation.